Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor. Today, talking to TJ McBride, Denver Nuggets beat writer. Obviously, the final's going on right now as of recording. Denver is up 2-1. TJ, how you doing? And uh, what, what's your what's just kind of like your main macro takeaway so far of this final series? Yeah, uh, I'm doing great. It's hard to be unhappy when you get to see finals basketball finally in Denver and taking off the way that it is. And when it comes to just my overall takeaway, it's just that this Denver Nuggets team is really incredible. And I wonder what we were robbed of when Jamal Murray was hurt with that ACL tear, because that's two years of playoff basketball that we did not get to see this exact group for the most part working together in tandem in a way that clearly is extremely functional in a playoff setting. So whenever I, I, I take a step back and I realize just how good Denver's been it's hard for me not to wonder what these past few years could have looked like if Jamal hadn't gotten hurt yeah that's a really really good point because in 2020 the Nuggets make the run they play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals and you know they looked really good obviously like when you lose to the team that wins the championship like you know that's always tough no matter like where in the run you are and then Jamal hurts his tears his ACL at the end of 21 so he misses the 21 playoffs he misses all of 22 and then in 22, they were really shorthanded because Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray's out, right? Yep. And then, and not just that. I mean, you had Faku Composo and Austin Rivers starting in the backcourt for the playoff series. Like whoa, they had whoa, whoa. You're talking to left. you're talking to the Composo truther over here. You are talking to the other one. <laughs> I have been as big as of, of a Faku guy as can be, but there's no denying that he had some serious limitations in the NBA that were, um, let's just say, lightly exploited in a playoff setting <laughs> during that series. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like as a as a, a guy off the bench that you could use maybe in a series or not or whatever like i'm like oh i like him he's, he's a wonderful fifth guard he could help so much as a backup as like the third point guard or just the fifth guard off the bench to give you that injury reserve he does a phenomenal job of that but starting and playing yeah, yeah. dho basketball with nikola Jokic is not why he was brought to denver absolutely where it's one of those things that yeah, like scrappy can play defense and yeah. get people skinned like can play make a little bit yeah but then why <laughs> so just you know before this before we start of the interview and the episode i was like oh you know it's the finals we're gonna play the hits we'll, we'll talk about yoga immediately Murray. went to faku composo <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't show that we are the truthers of the faku composo world nothing will it's we like are bringing the- him up when he's not in the nba anymore during the finals to begin the podcast so i apologize to everybody who's listening to your show because of me i would no no, no. i do not apologize this is this, this is what i want to talk about it's like all right my argument with it was like okay he can't score but he can do other things and it's like yes. yeah but he's one of the five guys playing like <laughs> it's not, not gonna worry on the I, team man he's back playing serbian basketball now hopefully he's enjoying himself so i'm, I'm happy to see him I think he's at red star now so good for him he found his way back he's, pl- he's still playing ball and enjoying himself and enjoying the fruits of his labors over his incredibly long and illustrious overseas career all right well uh yeah i i i checked that off my my bucket list i got to talk about composite on a podcast <laughs> i'm pretty happy um, i'm absolutely the right person to bring on for that <laughs> <laughs> but then and then obviously they play they play the champs in the first round, super shorthanded. Mm-hmm. It was like Aaron Gordon, Jokic, and a bunch of like guys. Yeah, it was rough. So that was that was really hard for Jokic's, uh, 
I would say like his rep kind of around the league for people. I don't that- understand why though, because he played incredibly well in every one of those series and one series that the Nuggets had no business winning based on the team that they had. I mean, they beat Portland in the first round with that group, with all of those guys hurt. Not even Monte Morris was playing for them at that point. So that even during those stretches, Nikola Jokic was dominating playoff basketball with what he had. Oh, no, no, no. I completely agree with you. I'm just saying from a narrative angle, right? He wins the I think it's tough when you you win MVPs and then you have early exits in the playoffs where like reason goes out the window. Yeah. And this uh, one of the you ever you ever play pickup basketball with someone and they get like unreasonably upset because you're you're like, well, this this is a Saturday mm-hmm. at the park. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, where did this anger come from? And sometimes with with MVPs and early exits, I remember Dirk in the in the 2000s where like the amount of anger that comes out towards players where this happens but i'm like hold on if you look at the circle like just like two minutes you look at the circumstances you look at the rosters you look at what the team was trying to overcome where it's like there's no like you run that series a hundred times they they never beat the the warriors it it just doesn't happen because it can't but the the reason for some reason goes away and the anger boils up and i'm like i don't understand this interaction that we have like in the basketball zeitgeist it's people wanting to be right, not come to the correct conclusion. And that's a very different thing. People would rather leave a 180 character argument feeling like they won than get into what actually happened. It's not as fun. And frankly, as much as Twitter has been hyper important for many people in this community, myself included, you can't convey context in 180 characters. You just can't. So when you try and have these discussions in a medium like this, it's always going to break down into the very basics and the way people feel just in terms of their own opinion on basketball and that just takes away all nuance all context all ability to have a real conversation about what is actually happening on the court so that's that's been a problem that i have been uh, that everybody obviously has been seeing for quite some time nba uh coverage let's just put it as a big blanket statement has had trouble covering actual basketball and it's been that way for quite a while Mm, yeah i'm thinking about what you're saying and i also love being right it's probably my favorite thing yeah who doesn't so, we're humans we, we try and be right every time we can spe- okay so speaking of not being right obviously we're gonna talk about the nuggets more you know you you know the nuggets very intimately but the miami heat their run to the finals i i saw something on twitter where it was like uh unrelated to sports it was like if you can't explain something in simple terms you don't understand it and i was like this is how i feel about the heat and the Heat's run to the finals. I don't really understand what's going on, and I picked them to lose multiple. I picked them to lose twice, and then I was like, well, I guess I'll just pick them to win in the third round because I can't. They, they just keep winning, and I keep being wrong. And so I was technically right, but I don't really know why. Do you know why the Heat made the finals? Yes, it's because they're shooting virtually as well as the 16-17 Warriors did throughout their playoffs run. I mean, they're putting up numbers from three-point range that are astounding for most of the uh, of their playoff run. Of course, now we're getting to the point that they're starting to slowly come back to earth. They were 11 of 35 last night, so they weren't the same team they were. But in terms of attempts and makes, they've been one of the most incredible uh, growths in a team that I've ever seen from regular season to playoffs. They went from a negative differential team to walking through 
the East pretty much. Like I know things got dicey there at the end against Boston, but they handled that series when Boston didn't just go unconscious from three. So I, I that's been the biggest, most obvious thing for me is that they're getting three point shooting from all over the place. And when you total up everything that they've done from behind the three point line, it looks among, you know, like it fits among the actual title contenders that we think of when we think of elite three point shooters. So for me, that's all it comes down to. That's what I was worried about entering the series from a Nuggets point of view was just simply three point variance. Even if you look at last night, the Nuggets made six less threes than the Heat did, despite the Heat only shooting 31% from three. And the Nuggets still were able to come out of that game with a big win, 15 points. So the three point variance was my biggest concern. It's why the Heat have gotten this far. They didn't shoot well against the Knicks, but they didn't really need to. But they shot incredibly well against Boston and they shot incredibly well against the Bucks. So I'm not surprised that they were able to get here behind that because it's just such a massive swing as you obviously know you guys are stats heavy here when you guys when you see this kind of three-point variance you're gonna create openings to win games that you otherwise would have thought to not be in and that's their entire postseason so far I yeah you know I get what you're saying that makes sense but I'm a little confused because I'm like you know hot shooting series that happens <laughs> but it's been like two months and I know you said the next there was a little bit of a lull there and then like so like Gabe Vincent like throughout his career like like solid shooter Duncan Robinson was very good has had some struggles where like the the other thing that's confusing is like it's not Clay and Steph so it's interesting that a team can do it for this long do you think we're heading in a direction where this will happen more often where there's teams that are, you know, really, really good defensively. They have some depth and because of the style of play is changing to taking so many threes, we'll have more higher variance playoff runs or I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Is- I, I, I don't know how well that'll play out as things are currently constructed. But when you look forward to this new CBA that is going to be put into effect, that's when I start thinking that, yes, the variance is going to go up because these teams that are competing at a high level that have all this money on the books are not going to be able to bring in mid-level guys might have their draft picks frozen. They aren't going to be able to bring in and, you know, re-sign guys like for the Nuggets point of view, when they have to re-sign Aaron Gordon in a few years, that contract discussion is going to be incredibly difficult with that lead apron above them. So when you start seeing that parity overtake the NBA because of the new CBA, I would not be surprised if three-point variance becomes a very big and dramatic um, indicator for playoff success because you can't build and stabilize a contending team for a long period of time anymore. The Nuggets probably have a three-year window from right now until they're going to lose KCP, potentially, Aaron Gordon, potentially. And when you start seeing these teams get thinner to keep their star power together, that three-point variance could absolutely change the outcome outcome of the game so that's something that i do think could end up happening a lot i think that we're going to see a big change in the nba because of this new cba i'm quite concerned about teams being even more averse to spending because of that lead apron now than they already have been and the impact that could have on the overall nba um enjoyment for fans so i do think we might see that going down the line but right now three-point variance i think can only get you so far because you have to shoot out of your mind from april all the way through june 
And that is just something people can't really keep up for almost three months of basketball. So like, like we've been talking about the heat, were able to do this throughout the postseason. but now that Jimmy Butler is starting to run a little ragged and doesn't have the same burst and isn't able to change directions as quickly, they're not able to set these things up as well. And it's leading to worse three point shots, which is hurting their overall efficiency. So even though they're getting them up, that is starting to take its toll on them. And I think it's a big part to do with the fact that this is not who they are. They have, they were not a three point shooter team in terms of how they won basketball games in the regular season they found it in the postseason but can you really sustain that for three months i don't think that's something you can bank on very often with the way the nba is constructed right now the nuggets are just too good of a team to be able to live and die by the three-pointers a la the way the celtics did which was very funny to me because that's why the miami heat got here so it's a very strange predicament but at the same time it's all the heat really have to keep themselves in these games so i'm not surprised that they're trying to steer into it yeah it's definitely been one of those situations in this fact so like every every year in basketball i feel like i i learned something or a thought i have is sort of refined where i'm like okay you know you know we're leaning towards this or that whatever it may be whatever the trends in the league are but this heat team has been a bit of a knuckleball <laughs> and mm-hmm, 100%. It's led to honestly some like kind of bad episodes of me podcasting because <laughs> I'm like, well, it's hard because like, like, like a... yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're an anime guy, but I've always compared them to like an anime power up, like out of nowhere, they just developed six <laughs> skills that they didn't have prior and they just screamed once and found all of that ability and then took out whoever was in front of them. I've never seen a team adapt so many different ways to despite their limitations like this Heat team has. And it's been really, really impressive to watch. And Bam Adebayo has been absolutely incredible throughout this postseason run, and especially in this Nugget series. I mean, obviously, he'll be overshadowed by Nikola Jokic, but Bam has been spectacular for what they have needed from him. So I, I have a lot of respect for this Heat team. I don't know how they keep finding that next gear or that next skill or that next schematic change to find a way to keep themselves in it. And I frankly wouldn't be surprised if they found another one in game four or five five and took one of those games as well but it it does feel like they're fighting a roar of attrition that they are not suited to win and i'm not sure if they'll be able to get over the hump because of that the nuggets have won this entire postseason because of their optionality they have more buttons to press than any team that they have played and that is still true against the miami heat right now in this series so i just have so much faith that the nuggets will find another level another button to press another counter punch because they have so many things that they haven't not yet had to go to in this postseason to be able to find a new advantage and they just haven't needed to so i i'm really impressed with this with this heat team but even with all of this excitement for what they've been able to do my hopes in them finding a way to get back into the series uh, are dwindling rapidly i like the the anime uh kind of metaphor because <laughs> that does make sense because sometimes you're like okay i have a feeling of what this guy and then you're like wait this power scaling makes no sense and then you're like wait yes they're taking on somebody else they're like not even in the same realm but they're doing in the it. first half last night max Struess was like taking the ball up the court in transition <laughs> and dropping dime bounce passes between defenders and i was like wait 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 wait. this is not ever who max Struess is where did four assists in the first quarter come from like they just find this next gear over and over again and it's a credit to spo too that is the argument the best coach in the, in the NBA right now. He is absolutely incredible. So that is definitely a part of the series that I've enjoyed. It's just watching this Heat team constantly adapt and find a new way. 
I have a, a friend that is a Miami Heat fan, and we'll we'll just send each other the Struce is loose text. <laughs> and I got one of those yesterday, and I was like, I was like racing home to see the game, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Then he ended up with three points and four rebounds in twenty four minutes, and went great. Um, all right, so let's let's switch. Let's let's start talking about coaching. You brought that up. Um, obviously, Spolstra gets a lot of of love, and he is a very, very good coach. One caveat I always do bring up with him is like, yes, is he great? Is he fantastic? Absolutely. Is he one of the best? Totally. But when you have Bam and you have Jimmy Butler and your two best players are unbelievable defensive players and unbelievably versatile, I think it gives you the ability you're talking about kind of, you know, pulling switches and levers with the nuggets. And I think they can do things both offensively and defensively with that. But I think when you have Jimmy Butler and you have bam defensively, you are able to do so many things and you are able to move those guys around. And it's not just, Hey, you know, bam, can you guard on the perimeter? Jimmy, can you go down low? Cause you're pretty strong on a switch or whatever it is. It's their ability to be like, Hey, we're doing this new thing. And those guys get up to speed and execute it well at, at a, at a pace that honestly, other teams that I watch just, they cannot do it. So I think that the coaching on both sides has been very good. But one thing I always like to bring up with the heat is like, well, when your two best players lean defensively, um, in, in terms of like their skill set, I do think that gets overlooked in terms of you know just the ability to defend, create turnovers, and then also their basketball IQ because those two guys are are fantastic defensively. I think that takes a little bit. Like I, I don't disagree with you. There are most of what you're saying I completely agree with, but I want to push back on the aspect that this is just easier because of them. Spolstra has to put so many things into place in order to get the most out of them anyway because while they are very versatile they are also very narrow as players like they're not going to be able to be the guys like Nikola Jokic that you can just throw the ball to and rely on like you have to create systems around them to be able to get the best from them and Spolstra has hit all the right notes whether it's making sure Max Struess or Duncan Robinson is basically always on the court to get them the spacing they need whether it's just finding a way to get Bam moving before he actually catches the ball at the elbow by using flare screens by from guys like Haywood Highsmith and Kevin Love who stepped into this even small uh, setting screens for him like Gabe Vincent those are all very difficult schemes to implement into a team because it requires so much buy-in not just by your two-star players who are already willing to buy in but guys like Gabe Vincent like Max Struess like Caleb Martin to fulfill their end of the bargain in order to get the most out of them and that's incredibly difficult I think about this a lot with Nikola Jokic because everybody always says wow look at how easy it is to play with Nikola he just gets you free shots. I talked to KCP about this when I was still covering the team before, you know, earlier this season. And I asked him, I was like, I know it's, it's, looks easy just to receive passes from Nicola, but what's the learning curve like to learn to play with one of the most unique players in the NBA? Like that has to be a part of this. And he said like, yes, like I took me three weeks, four weeks of playing with him every day to even understand what he's seen on a basketball court. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Miami is built around Jimmy and Bam as well. They see the game so quickly and so instinctually on a defensive level that they have to be able to get the rest of the team Team around them near that pace to be able to get that from them. So Spolstra's job of getting that Heat team dialed in and connected defensively has been absolutely incredible, and I think he deserves more credit for it. The Nuggets have thrived all playoffs long in transition. They have scored so many easy points in transition, and the Heat have sapped 
every last little bit of energy and pace from the game, all because they were able to assert their own will, their own pace on the game. The Nuggets are still winning because they're great in the half court and great when you slow it down, but they removed an entire weapon from the Nuggets just on a schematic level because Spolstra decided we are not allowing them to run and play mismatch basketball against us early in the shot clock. So I, I am one who very much so gives Spo a little bit more credit than that just because I the what, what I've seen from this team and the way that everybody has fit around Bam and Jimmy has been unbelievable and something that I didn't expect at any point this season. I like that pushback. I like that a lot. Let's talk about the other coach in the series, Mike Malone, because mm-hmm. he's been someone that is not as famous, I guess, you know, as Spolstra is just in the, the zeitgeist of basketball. But here's the thing, like he's been uh, he's been pretty clever. He's been pretty funny in postgame pressers. And I feel like that's really honestly the best way to get more famous in the NBA, especially when you're a coach. And uh, he He's one of those guys, you know, I'll be honest with coaches. It's difficult to sometimes like gauge how good they are. In my mind, this is just my personal opinion. I view coaches having like a similar value as your six man, where if the rest of the team isn't very good, it, it doesn't matter if you have a great six man. And then sometimes the team is so good. It's not that the, the six man always matters. He's always going to play. But, you know, if you're on a, a, a hyper loaded team, the six man doesn't have as much doesn't need to have as much of an impact. So uh, the situation like that, that's just more my waiting for how much I value coaches. And then Malone is a guy where, you know, before deep playoff runs, it is it is difficult to sometimes gauge. And like we said, 2020, yes. they have the run. They look pretty good. And then after that, they were too injured. They were missing Jamal Murray to really draw any conclusions. But yep. this run, I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty impressed. A lot of people were, you know, writing Malone off saying that he is probably not the coach to get them over the hump into into true title contention. They thought that he would be the, you know, the culture guy, the guy who builds this, the foundation that a new coach will be able to lift this franchise up from. And I always push back on that because Malone, as much as he seems to be a very old school coaches coach, he is way more of a player's coach than he gets credit for. He rides and dies for his players. He has intimate personal relationships with every single one of them and he always says that if you want to get the best out of the out of a player you have to let them be who they are and that has allowed the nuggets to grow into this team jamal murray i know i was one of his biggest detractors throughout the first few years of his career because his handle was not very strong his shot mechanics off the catch and off off the dribble were just slow and not really there and it took him a while to become a lethal shooter who could also run the offense and he was bad on defense malone saw something in him and continually pushed him and continually challenged him it wasn't just a nice let's help you along the way and do everything we can to make you feel good malone coached jamal hard and got this player out of him so you talk about a coach being equivalent to a six man i agree about i agree to that when you take season season by season as the overall impact but coaches impacts are cumulative they start from when they get there and they build throughout their career because what Malone is now being able to benefit from what the Nuggets are benefiting from is the six seven eight nine years that Malone has spent getting this team to play this style and take defense seriously so while I agree again like you can't just insert a new coach and be like oh hey look now we're going to jump spots in the rankings we're going to suddenly be a three seed because we have a new coach that's not how it works on 
a season to season basis. But when you cumulatively add up all of the impacts that a coach can have on a franchise, it looks very different than comparing them to a six man in my eyes. And Malone, credit to him. He had the cojones to say, you know what? That's the weirdest center in basketball. Let's build our offense around him. Like the guy had the foresight and the trust in his players to build this Nuggets team into what it is. Without him, there is no shot that the Nuggets are where they are right now. So while you're not wrong that they are, again, around that six-man level in terms of points added to a basketball game, I think that his cumulative impact is just dramatically higher than that. TJ, I like your answers. I remember having you on the podcast <laughs> in the offseason. I was like, I'm excited to have TJ back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk hoops. That's the one thing that I have in my life is words and basketball. So I can do that. Uh, all right. So I had a I had a player ranking article. So normally the you know top 100, top 75 players, normally people make them in the offseason. It's just typical offseason content. You know, it gets yeah. people excited. It gets people arguing, whatever. Um, I wanted to do a midway season ranking because a lot changes over the course of a season. And I think when I published the article, it was actually like – it was after the trade deadline, I think. So it's like 75% of the way through the season. Yeah, the unofficial midpoint, as the NBA loves to call it. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, this will be more of like a, a prepper for kind of what has changed. Because every season we learn things. And then heading into the playoffs, this will be more accurate. And I had Jamal Murray at number 45. And right yeah, now, so you're like, that's a little low. And yeah. he, he was a player that I, I just didn't understand. Because... If you just look at the regular season numbers and you watch him play in the regular season, I, I'm just I'll, I'll just give you the brief recap of the recap. What I wrote here is like, you know, really dynamic score can like get pretty crazy from three. But, you know, limitations doesn't get to the rim a ton, doesn't shoot a ton of free throws. There is some playmaking and not really a great defender. So basically, he's like a scorer who isn't hyper efficient. And yeah, a lot of people compare him to a little bit worse Devin Booker, a guy I think you can get his, but isn't going to give you a whole lot outside of it. Yeah, I can see that. That that kind of yeah, a score first. That, that, that's how a lot of people saw him for sure. And you know, both really good shooters can shoot in the mid range, can shoot the three. And at the end of the article, though, or at the end of the little blurb, I was like, but he can drop forty in a playoff game and like has done it, and that makes you look past some things. And he was one of the harder players to rank because I was like. It feels like I want to have him be higher because he just went ballistic in 2020 in the playoffs. And say what you want about who they're playing or that it was in the past, whatever it is, that still holds value. And obviously, if I was making the list today, he would be uh, several slots higher. Uh, but how have you wrestled with understanding him as a player from the regular season to the postseason and that almost like superhero like change. Yeah, I want to use a, a theory that Matt Moore of the Action Network uses. I used to sit next to him at every Nuggets game. He's a very good friend and fantastic at what he does. He says that there are floor raisers and there are ceiling raisers. There are guys who push your ceiling way beyond but don't impact your floor. And then there's those guys who impact your floor and can raise it to a truly dominant level. For me, Jamal Murray is absolutely a floor, a floor raiser for this team. He has to be this player for the Nuggets to get the most out of their group. Nikola Jokic is phenomenal by himself 
himself, but he cannot do it by himself. He needs Jamal to lift him in this way. And I think it was, I'm trying to remember who wrote the story because it was so good. I think it was Robbie Calland wrote a story about the pull between Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and how Jamal Murray is the relentlessness and the ferocity that you don't see in Nikola Jokic's game and how he kind of adds the yin to Nikola Jokic's yang. And I think that's exactly what it is. Jamal Murray might be up and down, but as long as he can find that consistency to keep their floor high enough, his numbers will look worse than his impact is. But when he truly becomes the player he can be, like he has been this postseason, he takes their floor and puts it to arguably one of the best teams we've ever seen in the finals level. He's been that good this postseason. And even crazier, the part that makes this even more difficult is how much his stats jump up significantly in the postseason. Jamal Murray's career scoring average in the regular season is a hair under 17. 16.9 in the playoffs he's averaging 25.4 points with a minimum of 50 games it's the largest increase in nba history according to micah adams that's unbelievable and it makes it completely impossible to justify who this player is in a ranking system <laughs> because he's not that guy in a regular season again average is 17 takes the back seat gets everybody else more comfortable conserves his energy gets ready for the big games and it's clearly worked funny enough the second player with the largest point per game jump from regular to postseason is Nikola Jokic <laughs> that's really so funny. the Nuggets have the two biggest playoff risers in the NBA right now, and they have done it all season long. So it makes a lot of sense to me that people struggle to understand the Nuggets in the regular season, especially this year, because they had nothing to play for for the last six weeks of the season and then try and understand who they'll be in the postseason. Because this Nuggets team, as much as they'll win regular season games, they are built for the playoffs. They are not built for the regular season. And that has shown in this playoff setting so far. They have handled every obstacle that has been thrown their way yeah they have been just absolutely fantastic jamal like you said it makes the ranking system so difficult for him because it's like oh so he's just like a nuclear option in the playoffs is it very yes. interesting <laughs> it's an interesting quirk for a player to have but uh yeah tj thanks for coming on the show i could talk to you about basketball for for hours i always <laughs> enjoy having you on but uh yeah the finals have been very exciting uh as of recording right now nuggets are up 2-1 and uh, before we get out of here, you know, we're, we want to plug your Twitter and you got to follow TJ on Twitter. It's at TJ McBride NBA. He has my favorite um, profile picture of anyone. <laughs> it's him just kind of lurking, looming behind Mike Malone. Every time I see it, I smile. So, uh, you know, you're going to get great Nuggets content, great NBA content out of TJ's Twitter account. But you're also going to have... You know, you're like my favorite, probably your favorite soon to be as a follower profile picture on the <laughs> Internet. Shout out Chris Dempsey of Altitude Sports, who took that picture, not realizing I looked like in the back and allowed me to get memed into death to where I steered into the skid and made it my profile picture, <laughs> because that is still to the day why that happened and why it's still there. So <laughs> that's great. So uh, for Twitter at TJ McBride MBA, give him a follow because uh, he is a, a fantastic basketball content creator writer coming on podcast guest person whatever whatever titles we have these days whatever you need i can basketball it for you that's for sure <laughs> all right tj thanks for coming on that'll do it for this episode 
of the Basketball Index podcast. We'll call, what are we going to call this episode? NBA Finals Analysis, I guess is probably what we'll call it. But uh, yeah. Uh, the Faku Composo Show. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, at Taylor Metrics, and we will see you on the next episode of Basketball Index Podcast.